Book two, chapter twelve of Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty, by William Bradford, rendered into modern English by Harold Paget. Book two, chapter twelve. Ashley being taken away by the hand of God, and Mr. Allerton discharged from his employment, their business began to run smoothly again, since they were better able to guide it, Penobscot being now wholly in their control. For though Mr. William Pierce had a share in it, as things stood he was glad to have his money repaid him and resign. Mr. Winslow sent them over some supplies from England as soon as he could, and when he arrived some time later he brought a large supply of suitable goods with him, by means of which their trading could be carried on successfully. Neither his representations nor the letters they wrote succeeded in preventing Mr. Shirley and the rest from charging both the Friendship and the White Angel to the general account, which was the cause of continual contention thereafter. I will now insert a letter of Mr. Winslow's on the subject. Edward Winslow in England to Governor Bradford at New Plymouth. Sir, it chanced by God's providence that I received and brought your letters per Mr. Allerton from Bristol to London, and I fear what the outcome will be. Mr. Allerton intended to fit out the ship again for fishing. Mr. Shirley, Mr. Beauchamp, and Mr. Andrews disclaim responsibility, protesting that but for us they would never have risked one penny. Mr. Hatherley takes no decided stand on either side. As to what you write about him and Mr. Allerton taking the white angel upon themselves on behalf of the partners here, the others insist that they never gave any such orders, nor will they make it good. If those two like to be responsible for the account, well and good. What the upshot will be I do not know. The Lord so direct and assist us that he may not be dishonored by our dissensions. I hear from a friend that I was much blamed for telling what I heard in the spring about the plans for selling the ship in Spain, but if I had not told you what I heard so peremptorily reported, and which I offered to prove at Bristol, I should certainly have been unworthy of my employment. As to the power of attorney given so long ago to Mr. Allerton, what we feared has happened. Mr. Shirley and the others have got it and will not surrender it, that being the instrument of our agent's credit to procure such sums. I expect bitter words, hard thoughts, and sour looks from several for writing this, as for reporting the former information. I would I had a more thankful task, but I hope a good conscience will make it comfortable, etc. November 16, 1631. Thus far he. The deed mentioned above was given under their hand and seal when Mr. Allerton was first employed by them, and its return was requested when they first began to suspect him. He told them it was among his papers, but he would find it and give it to them before he went. When he was ready to go it was demanded again. He said he had not found it, but it was among his papers which he was taking with him, and he would send it by the boat coming from the eastward, and then again it could not be found, but he would look it up at sea. Whether Mr. Shirley had it before or after this is not certain, but having it he would not let it go, and keeps it to this day. So even among friends men need to be careful whom they trust, and not let things of this nature lie long unrecalled. James Shirley in England to Governor Bradford at New Plymouth. Sir, I have received your letter through our friends Mr. Allerton and Mr. Hatherley, who, blessed be God, have arrived safely at Bristol. Mr. Hatherley has come to London, but Mr. Allerton I have not yet seen. 
we thank you and are very glad you dissuaded him from the spanish voyage and that he did not fulfil his intentions for we all utterly disliked the project as well as the fishing of the friendship we wished him to sell the salt and were unwilling to have him undertake so much business partly because of previous failure and partly because we were loath to disburse so much money but he assured us this would repay us and that the colony would be long in doing so nay i remember that he even doubted if by your trading there you could meet your expenses and pay us and for this very reason he induced us to undertake that business with ashley though he was a stranger to us as to the cost of the fishing ship we are sorry if it proves so heavy and are willing to take our share of it what mr hatherley and mr allerton have proposed no doubt they themselves will make good we gave them no authority to make any composition to separate you from us in this or any other scheme furthermore i think you have no cause to forsake us for we involved you in nothing but what your agent advocated and you in your letters desired if he exceeded your authority i hope you will not blame us much less leave us in the lurch now that our money is expended but i fear neither you nor we have been properly dealt with for as you write surely one half of four thousand pounds nay a quarter in commodities dispatched in seasonable time would have provided you more effectively yet in spite of all this and much more that i might write i cannot but think him honest and that his intentions were good but the wisest may fail well now that it has pleased god to give us hope of agreeing doubt not but we shall all endeavour to adjust these accounts fairly as soon as we possibly can i suppose you sent over mr winslow and we mr hatherley to certify each other how the state of things stood we have received some satisfaction upon mr hatherley's return and i hope you will receive the same upon mr winslow's return now to answer your letter more particularly i shall be very brief the charging of the white angel to your account could not be more surprising to you than the purchase of her was to us for you commissioned that what he did you would stand by note his commission was abused he never had any authority for such undertakings as they well knew nor had the adventurers in england any authority to pay this money nor would they have paid a penny of it if they had not had some other object in view End of note we gave him no such commission yet for his credit and your sakes paid the bills he charged us with as to my writing that she was to fulfil two purposes fishing and trading believe me i never so much as thought of any private trading nor will i countenance any for i was always against it and used these very words it will reduce the profits of the settlement and ruin it the rest of the letter i omit as it is not very pertinent it was dated november nineteenth sixteen thirty one in another letter dated november twenty fourth in answer to the general letter on the same subject there are these words as to the white angel about which you write so earnestly saying we thrust her upon you contrary to the intentions of the purchaser we say you forget yourselves and do us wrong we will not take upon us to divine what the thoughts or intentions of the purchaser were but what he spoke we heard and that we will affirm and make good against any one viz that unless she were bought ashley could not be supplied and if he were not supplied we could not recoup ourselves for our losses on your account from another of his dated january second sixteen thirty one we propose to keep the friendship and the white angel as regards last year's voyages on the general account hoping that together they will produce profit rather than loss and cause less confusion in our accounts and less disturbance in our intercourse 
as for the white angel though we laid out the money and took bills of sale in our own names none of us had so much as a thought of separating from you in any way this year because we did not wish the world i may say bristol to see any breach between mr allerton and you or between him and us and so disgrace him in his proceedings we have now let him the ship at thirty pounds per month by charter party and secured him in a bond of one thousand pounds to perform the contract and bring her back to london if god please what he takes in her for you shall be marked with your mark and bills of lading shall be taken and sent in mr winslow's letter who is this day riding to bristol about it so in this voyage we deal with him as strangers not as partners he has turned in three books of accounts one for the company another for ashley's business and the third for the white angel and friendship the books or copies of them we propose to send you for you may discover the errors in them more readily than we could it can be reckoned how much money he has had from us and you can charge him with all the beaver he had from you the total sum as he has it is seven thousand one hundred three pounds seven shillings one pence of this he has expended and given to mr vines and others about five hundred forty three pounds you will know from your books whether you had the goods he charges to you this is all i can say at present concerning the accounts he expected to complete them in a few hours but he and stratton and fogg were over a month at them but he could not wait till we had examined them for fear of losing his fishing voyage which i fear he has already done we bless god who put it into our minds to send to each other for had mr allerton gone on in that risky and expensive way one year more we should not have been able to meet his expenditure nay both he and we must have lain in the ditch and sunk under the burden had there been an orderly course taken and your business better managed by the blessing of god yours would have been the ablest colony we know of undertaken by englishmen thus far of these letters of mr shirley's a few observations about former letters and then i will give the simple truth of the things in controversy between them at least as far as good evidence can show one it seems clear that ashley's business and the buying of the ship and the resultant plans were first contrived by mr allerton two though mr allerton may not have intended to wrong the plantation his own private ends led him astray for it became known that in the first two or three years of his employment as agent he had made four hundred pounds and put it into a brewery of mr collier's in london again mr shirley and he had private dealings and yet i believe as he mentioned above that mr shirley did not countenance any private trading which he thought would injure the colony Three considering all they had done for the settlement in former risks and recent disbursements when mr allerton's proposals turned out unsuccessful they thought it fair that the colony should bear them and so took advantage of such power as mr allerton formerly had as their agent to let these losses devolve upon them for as for mr allerton with pity and compassion i may say with the apostle timothy first timothy six nine and ten but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and pierce themselves through with many sorrows for the love of money is the root of all evil god give him to see the evil of his ways that he may find mercy in repentance for the wrongs he has done as to the two ships the truth as far as could be learned was this the idea of fitting out the fishing-ship the friendship came first from the colony but was left to them in england to carry out or not as they thought best 
but when it was fully considered and the plan seemed hopeful and profitable it was suggested why might they not do it for themselves to cover their losses and without letting the colony share in it if their supplies reached them in time that was sufficient so they hired her and fitted her out and freighted her as full as she could carry with the goods of passengers belonging to massachusetts which rose to a good sum of money and intended to send the new plymouth settlement their goods in the other ship mr hatherley confirmed the following upon oath before the governor and deputy governor of massachusetts mr winthrop and mr dudley that the friendship was not intended for the joint partnership but for the private account of mr james shirley mr beauchamp mr andrews mr allerton and himself this deposition was taken under their hands at boston august twenty ninth sixteen thirty nine as may be seen besides other testimony as for the white angel though she was first bought or at least the price arranged by mr allerton at bristol mr shirley need not have dispersed the money against his will that she was not intended for the general partnership appears from various evidence the bills of sale were made out in their own names without any reference to the colony at all namely mr shirley mr beauchamp mr andrews mr dennison and mr allerton mr hatherley would not join them in this mr allerton took oath to the same effect concerning the white angel before the governor and deputy on september seventh sixteen thirty nine and deposed that mr hatherley and himself on behalf of them all agreed to free all the rest of the new plymouth partners from the losses of the friendship for two hundred pounds concerning mr allerton's accounts they were so lengthy and intricate that they could not understand them much less correct them and it was two or three years before they could unravel them even imperfectly i know not why but he took upon himself to keep all the accounts though mr shirley their agent was to buy and sell all their goods and did so usually but it was mr allerton who passed in accounts for all disbursements goods bought which he never saw the expenses for the leyden people incurred by others in his absence for the patents etc in connection with all of which he made it appear that the balance owing to him was over three hundred pounds and demanded payment however on examination he was found to be over two thousand pounds debtor to them besides i know not how much that could never be cleared up interest unaccounted etc then they were obliged to pass bills for expenses that were intolerable the fees for the patent came to above five hundred pounds all for nothing thirty pounds given at a clap and fifty pounds spent on a journey etc no wonder mr shirley said that if their business had been better managed they might have been the richest english colony at that time he even screwed up his poor old father-in-law's account to above two hundred pounds when alas he poor man never dreamed that what he had received could be near that value believing that many of the things brought over had been given by mr allerton as presents to him and his children nor did they come to nearly that value in fact the prices being inflated by interest this year mr shirley too sent over a cash account showing what mr allerton had received from them and dispersed for which he referred to his accounts besides an account of beaver sold which mr winslow and others had taken over and a large supply of goods which mr winslow had brought back and all the disbursements for the friendship and white angel and anything else he could charge the partners with 
In these accounts of Mr. Shirley's some things were obscure and some twice charged. They made them debtor to the total amount of £4,770, 19 shillings, 2 pence, besides £1,000 still due for the purchase yet unpaid, and notwithstanding all the beaver and goods that both Ashley and they had shipped over. Into such huge sums had Mr. Allerton run them in two years, for at the end of 1628 all their debts did not much exceed four hundred pounds, as will be remembered, now they amounted to as many thousands. In 1629, when Mr. Shirley and Mr. Hatherley were at Bristol, they wrote a long letter in which they gave an account of the debts and the sums that had been disbursed, but Mr. Allerton begged and entreated them to omit it. So they blotted out two lines in which the sums were mentioned, and wrote over them so that not a word could be read, to which they have since confessed. They were thus kept hoodwinked, until now they found themselves deeply in debt. To mend matters, Mr. Allerton now wholly deserted them. Having brought them into the briars, he leaves them to get out as best they can. But God crossed him mightily, for having hired the ship from Mr. Shirley at thirty pounds a month, he set out again with a drunken crew, and so overloaded her that she could not bear sail, and they were forced to put into Milford Haven and reload her, which lost them the season and resulted in a less profitable voyage than the year before. Having reached this country, he sold trading commodities to any that would buy, to the serious detriment of the colony. But what was worse, what he could not sell outright he sold on credit, and formed a disreputable company of traders to cover every hole and corner, even up the Kennebec, to take away the trade from the settlement's house there, on the patent for which he had wasted so much of their money. Not content with this, he did all he could to reduce its value to the colony and ruin them. He took partners and set up a trading-house beyond Penobscot to cut off the trade there, too. But the French, seeing that it would injure them, came down on them before they were well settled, and ousted them, killing two of their men, and taking all the goods to a considerable value, the loss being mostly, if not all, Mr. Allerton's. The rest of the men were sent into France, and this was the end of that project those to whom he sold on credit being loose and drunken fellows for the most part cheated him of all they got into their hands afterwards when he came to new plymouth the church called him to account for these and other gross miscarriages he confessed his fault and promised better ways and that he would wind himself out of the tangle as soon as he could etc this year Mr. Shirley must needs send them out a new accountant. He had made mention of such a thing the year before, but they wrote him that their expenses were so great already that he need not increase them in this way, and that if they were dealt with fairly and had their accounts properly sent in from there, they could keep their accounts here themselves. Nevertheless, he sent them over a man they could not well refuse, as he was a younger brother of Mr. Winslow's, Mr. Josias Winslow, whom they had been at considerable expense to instruct in London before he came. He came over in the White Angel with Mr. Allerton, and there began his first employment. This year their house at Penobscot was robbed by the French, and all their goods of any value was taken, up to four hundred pounds or five hundred pounds at least. The captain in charge of the house, and some of the men with him, had gone westward with their vessel to fetch a supply of goods which had been brought over for them. In the meantime came a small French ship into the harbor, and amongst the company was a false Scot. They pretended they had just come in from sea, and did not know where they were, that their vessel was very leaky, and asked if they might haul her ashore and mend her. 
they used many french compliments and in the end seeing only three or four servants and understanding from this scotchman that the captain and the rest were away from home they began praising their guns and muskets that lay in racks on the wall and took them down to look at them asking if they were loaded and when they had hold of them one of them presents a gun ready charged at the servants and another a pistol and bid them quietly deliver up their goods some of the men were carried aboard and others had to help carry the goods when they had taken what they wanted they set them at liberty and went their way with this mock to tell their captain when he returned that some of the isle of ray gentlemen had been there this year sir christopher gardiner a descendant of that bishop of winchester who was so great a persecutor of god's saints in queen mary's days and a great traveller who had received the honour of knighthood at jerusalem being made knight of the sepulchre there came into these parts under pretence of forsaking the world and living a godly life he was not unwilling to perform any mean employment or to take any pains for his living and some time after he offered to join the churches in several places he brought over with him a servant or two and a comely young woman whom he called his cousin but it was suspected that after the italian manner she was his concubine having been living in massachusetts for some misbehavior which he should have answered for there he fled from authority and got among the indians of these parts he was pursued but they could not get him though they promised a reward if he were found the indians came to the governor here and told where he was and asked if they might kill him he told them by no means but if they could capture him and bring him here they would be paid for their pains they said he had a gun and a rapier and he would kill them if they attempted it and the massachusetts indians had said they might kill him but the governor told them they must not kill him but watch their opportunity and seize him so they did for coming upon him by the riverside he got into a canoe to escape and while he was covering them with his gun to keep them off the stream carried the canoe against a rock and tumbled both him and his gun and rapier into the water but he got out and having a little dagger by his side they dare not close with him so they got some long poles and soon beat the dagger out of his hands when he was glad to yield and they brought him to the governor but his arms and hands were badly swollen and very sore with the blows they had given him so he treated him kindly and sent him to a lodging where his arms were bathed and anointed and he was quickly well again the governor blamed the indians for beating him so much but they said they only whipped him a little with sticks in his lodging those who made his bed found a little notebook that had slipped out of his pocket by accident in which was a memorandum of the day he was reconciled to the pope and the church of rome and in what university he took his scapula and such and such degrees this was handed over to the governor here who sent the governor of massachusetts word of his capture he was sent for and the notes were handed over to the governor there who was very grateful after sir christopher got to england he showed his malice but god prevented him governor winthrop at boston to governor bradford at new plymouth sir it has pleased god to bring sir christopher gardiner safely to us with his dependents and though i never intended to take any harsh measures with him but to treat him as his position demanded i let him know of your kind words about him and that he will speed the better for your mediation it was a special providence of god to bring those notes of his into our hands please instruct all that are aware of them not to inform any one for that may frustrate the use to be made of them the good lord our god who has always ordered things for the good of his poor churches here direct us in this aright and dispose it to a good issue 
i am sorry we put you to so much trouble about this gentleman especially at this busy time but i knew not how to avoid it i must again beg you to let me know what expense and trouble any of your people have been at on his account that it may be recompensed so with the true affection of a friend desiring all happiness to you and yours and to all my worthy friends with you whom i love in the lord i commend you to his grace and providence and rest your most assured friend john winthrop boston may fifth sixteen thirty one anent this i will take the liberty to show what occurred through this man's malice complying with others and though i do not doubt it will be more fully dealt with by honored friends whom it more directly concerned and who have more exact knowledge of the matter i will give a hint of it here showing god's providence in preventing the injury that might have resulted the information i received was in a letter from my much honored and beloved friend mr john winthrop governor of massachusetts governor winthrop at boston to governor bradford at new plymouth sir upon a petition presented by sir christopher gardiner sir ferdinand gorges captain mason etc against you and us the cause was heard before the lords of the privy council and was afterwards reported to the king the success of which makes it evident to all that the lord has care of his people here the passages are admirable but too long to write i heartily wish for an opportunity to impart them to you they cover many sheets of paper but the conclusion was against all expectation an order for our encouragement and much blame and disgrace upon the adversaries this calls for much thankfulness from us all which we purpose the lord willing to express in a day of thanksgiving to our merciful god i do not doubt but that you will consider whether it is not fitting for you to join in it as he humbled us by our recent correction so he has now lifted us up by an abundant rejoicing in our deliverance from so desperate a danger and the instrument whereby our enemies hoped to ruin us he has mercifully turned to our great advantage as i shall further acquaint you when opportunity serves the following is the order of the privy council january nineteenth sixteen thirty two at the court of whitehall present sigillum lord privy seal earl of dorset lord viscount falkland lord bishop of london lord cottington mr treasurer mr vice-chamberlain mr secretary cook master secretary windbank whereas his majesty has lately been informed of great distraction and much disorder in that plantation in the parts of america called new england which if they be true and suffered to run on would tend to the great dishonor of this kingdom and the utter ruin of that plantation for prevention whereof and for the orderly settling of the government according to the intention of those patents which have been granted by his majesty and by his late royal father king james it has pleased his majesty that the lords and others of his most honorable privy council should take the same into consideration their lordships in the first place thought fit to make a committee of this board to examine the information which committee having called several of the principal adventurers in the plantation and heard those that are complainants against them most of the things informed being denied and remaining to be proved by parties that must be called from that place which would require a long lapse of time and at present their lordships finding the adventurers occupied in the dispatch of men victuals and merchandise for that place all of which would be at a standstill if the adventurers should be discouraged or suspect that the state had no good opinion of the plantation 
their lordships not laying the fault or fancies if any be of some individuals upon the general government of the principal adventurers which in due time is to be further inquired into have thought fit in the meantime to declare that the appearances were so fair and the hopes so great and that the country would prove both so beneficial to this kingdom and so profitable to the particular adventurers that the adventurers had cause to go on cheerfully with their undertakings and rest assured that if things were carried on as was claimed when the patents were granted and as by the patents is appointed his majesty would not only maintain the liberties and privileges heretofore granted but supply anything further that might tend to the good government prosperity and comfort of his people there of that place william trumbull end of book two chapter twelve